You have the money? Prek looked down at the bag and kicked it toward Artur. Prek glanced at Nikolai standing behind his boss and to his right. That's the second time he's looked at his watch, Prek said to himself. Artur stepped forward and went down on his haunches, his hands in front of him. Everyone knew the drill. They kept their hands down and in plain sight by their sides. Artur unzipped the bag and pulled out a brick of one hundred euro notes and flicked through it with his thumb. Prek saw Nikolai glance at his watch again. He's waiting for someone, thought Prek. He looked at Genti, who was watching Artur counting money. He's waiting for someone, and they're late. Now you have to trust me, said Prek. He was in a hurry. The money's all there, so I'll take the merchandise. Artur stood up and held up his hands. Okay, okay. His right arm still aloft, as if he was taking an oath, Artur reached into his right coat pocket with his left hand and pulled out a small object. Prek rocked forward and back on his heels. He'd had no time to react, but he knew Genti could shoot both Chechens in the head in a second. This wasn't a gun. It was a small aluminum vial, about three inches long and an inch around. Prek moved forward, took the vial, and put it in his pants pocket. Nikolai said something Prek didn't understand, and without another word, the Chechens turned and were gone, Artur clutching the bag with the money. Come on, Prek said in Albanian. When he reached the doorway, he turned left, the opposite direction to the way they'd come in and where the Chechens were now headed. The car's back there, Genti said, but Prek was running now, heading to a stairway on the far side of the building. They could hear loud voices echoing up from the other stairway and the sound of hobnail boots on cement. This was who the Chechens were expecting, and it wasn't the Chamber of Commerce coming to thank the Albanians for their business. Fortunately, Russian timekeeping hadn't gotten any better since the fall of communism. Guns drawn, Prek and Genti raced down the stairs. Prek saw parked police cars and black vans ahead, doors hanging open. He turned and ran around the back of the building, Genti following close behind. The Chechens were in front of them, running toward a solitary car parked in the corner of a walled-in courtyard. Fucking amateurs! Prek saw the opportunity. The Chechens jumped in the car, Artur throwing it into reverse and backing up and around so the car faced forward. Before Artur could get it into drive, Prek and Genti were on the car, firing into the windshield three times each. Artur was hit and thrown back into his seat, his foot pushing onto the accelerator so the engine raced in neutral. Prek and Genti pulled open the doors and dragged the Chechens out. Artur was dead, his head blown open. Nikolai had been shot twice in the neck, blood bubbling out of his airway as his life ebbed away. Prek slammed the car into drive and took off, looking for another road out of the complex. Prek's heart was threatening to break out of his ribcage, and he cursed loudly. He was sitting on glass, and he had to lean forward so his head didn't come into contact with whatever of Artur's gray matter was splattered on the headrest behind him. What happened? he yelled. They sold us out, said Genti. There, he pointed ahead to a track off the service road leading away from the apartment complex. He knew they wouldn't last five minutes on a highway in a car with no windshield before being spotted. Hey, Genti said as Prek slowed down on the unpaved road. Prek looked over and Genti turned his head to look in the back seat. Though streaked with blood, the puma bag sat perfectly safe. Prek banged on the steering wheel and turned to Genti and both men laughed, long and hard. Part One Chapter One 
Columbia University Medical Center, New York City, February 28, 2011, 7.23 a.m. The girl, 12, awakens with a start. She's lying on a thin mattress on a low, narrow bed, and circling around her is a pack of girls. They're older, 16, 17, and as they shuffle along, they're staring down at her with obviously sinister intentions. Some are suppressing giggles, others are smiling, but these smiles aren't signs of happiness, they're smiles of anticipation. It's still nighttime. There are other cots in the long room, and the girl knows the other occupants are awake, but they won't move to help her because they know what's about to happen. Transfixed with terror, the girl is unable to react as the mob falls upon her. As she's being dragged off the bed, she sees her chief tormentor, the ringleader's face, twisted in a manic grimace. Still, she knows better than to scream for help. Somewhere in the dormitory, there's suddenly a light.